been a favourites World Cup each of the group winners uh, through the round of 16 it's all a bit dull isn't it? Uh, yeah except that it's anything but dull we are recording this at quarter to midnight on Tuesday night which means we've just watched the heroic performance of the USA as they were USA 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 as they were overcome by the might of Tintin and his waffle army that's right well watch out Belgium you will be bombed tonight no 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 we'll keep geopolitics out of this Mostly, yeah. It's it's not geopolitical anyway. The Americans, it's just got no, 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 no. no. Anyway, what extraordinary football we have borne witness to in this the greatest World Cup of our lifetimes. Well, right, too right. I mean, uh, we thought Maran Fellaini couldn't get any worse. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he can. One hundred and twenty minutes of utter gash against the US for Belgium. I've barely seen a player play worse. Well, maybe Angel Di Maria, but we'll come oh, on to that. That's so harsh on, on the, the man who scored the winning goal. Both Ozil and Di Maria scoring after truly terrible performances in the round of 16. Ozil's been poor all tournament, to be honest. Anyway, look, uh, we said we'd look forward to the quarterfinals and then within uh, that preview of uh, four excellent-looking quarterfinal games coming up on, on Friday and Saturday... Uh, we'll look back at the round of 16 too. So a bit of a mishmash here, but, um, you know, our first quarterfinal, and it's a bit of a mouthwaterer, I would say, is Brazil versus Colombia. And uh, interesting couple of games to get them through to the quarterfinal, don't you think? I'm just shaking my head slowly with kind of anticipation and joy at the prospect of this game. I mean, let's start with that Brazil game against Chile Uh, the first half of that was as breathtaking as anything we saw until the second half of uh, extra time in Belgium USA just absolutely end-to-end relentless it just bombing up and down the pitch either side both kind of almost ultimately lacking a bit of quality in the final third kind of a weird thing to say about those two teams but well it is when you've got Alexis Sanchez and Vargas and Neymar Oscar Hulk and so many attacking talents but yeah I mean completely right the intensity of the game was incredible. I mean, uh, part of that's, of course, the way Chile play, very in-your-face, uh, attack, 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 throw men forward. Uh, although a little bit weird, their tactics. I mean, they'd played pretty good football through the group stages and basically went very, very direct. A lot of diagonal balls trying to move Alexis into the channels and it didn't quite work for them all the time, did it? Uh, No, I I thought it was a really serious error because I thought Brazil were there for the taking if you match them in that midfield. I I think if Chile had tried to pass around Brazil, they would have found a lot of success by that method. Uh, And which is exactly the the way they try to play in the, the group stages too, yeah. So, I mean, look, they're not the best side we've ever seen, Chile, but... Yeah, they play in a in a fantastically intense and uh, interesting and attacking way, and they're, so they're very good to watch. Uh, you know, definitely have weaknesses. Brazil eventually exploited some of that. You know, although not nearly as much as uh, I suppose they thought they might have done, given the fact they were playing at home and their record against Chile and, and all of that kind of stuff. So. You know, and, and and in the end, Chile gave as good as they got, didn't they? You know, mm. A couple of minutes of uh, bits of quality on either side for the goals, and just you know, a, a joy to watch. In the end, not the highest quality game of football you'll ever see, but fine, fine, fine entertainment. Yeah, a real game of two halves in a quality sense. Both the goals came in the first half, and most of the really good play came in the second half. I think as we look forward to the quarterfinal game. We'll maybe talk a bit about Neymar because he completely disappeared from that game, almost kicked out of it, actually, by some pretty rough treatment at the hands of Chile. But Neymar involved in everything Brazil did in the first half and next to nothing they did in the second half. Well, he's just brilliant to watch when he's on the ball. When he's got the ball in front of him and he's running, uh, he's just so dynamic and and clearly streets ahead of his uh, compatriots. I mean, 
uh, take Neymar out of the side and you, you don't half feel Brazil are just a little bit average. And part of that's to do with the fact that they've got Fred up front, who's just the wrong man, uh, I think, for that role. Wrong, you know. I mean, I know you can win the World Cup with a, an average centre forward, of course, it's been done before, but uh, it doesn't half feel like a weight around them. But, you know, Neymar's the opposite. Give him the ball and he's, he's free. But couldn't do it for the whole game. And that's a worry for them, of course, because they're going to need that in the later stages. Yeah, and uh, honourable mention to Hulke for coming good uh, to a certain extent. I mean, his, Hulke. His, go- oh. his goal was rightly disallowed. Incredible pronunciation. <laughs> Very good, Ed. Um, you wouldn't like me when I'm not pronouncing names correctly. Uh, shout out to Rio, of course. We called him the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. It's good. <laughs> Doing commentary. Good, very good. Uh, but yeah, I thought Hulk had an excellent second half, really came to life um, and was good to see. And, and he rightly had a goal ruled out. A little harsh to give him a yellow card for that, but nonetheless. And and Pinea, who hit the bar in the last split second of the match, as far as my memory has it, has had a, a tattoo done, apparently, according to something I saw on Twitter, might not be true, saying 10 centimetres from greatness or something with a picture of him hitting the bar. I I've, you think you want to leave it a bit longer after the match to see <laughs> if you definitely constantly want to be reminded of that moment. Wow, yeah. I mean, I suppose if he was the Spurs marketing department, he'd have brought out a DVD. <laughs> uh, the penalty... Every possible angle. Not the best penalty shootout we've ever seen, and definitely... Definitely not the best penalty shootout on the, in the round of 16, which we'll come to. So, uh, Colombia, Uruguay, then Brazil's opponents uh, in the quarterfinals brushed aside Uruguay. Uruguay offered some sort of vaguely stout resistance for a bit, and then I don't know the best goal ever scored at a World Cup. Maybe not. That might be a hyperbole. But for me, it knocked Robin off uh, the number one spot for goal of the tournament so far. Oh, how how can you say that, Paul? Sacrilegious. <laughs> but yeah, true. Just an unbelievable piece of skill. T- to take it on his chest, and he's not a huge man by any means. Rodriguez, he's, he's no Maran Fellaini when it comes to <laughs> chest control. Uh, but he did something that Fellaini could, couldn't even do in his dreams. Fellaini would fall over trying this to you know, take it on the chest, spin round and slam in that left-footed volley. Absolutely stunning goal from James Rodriguez, or however you want to say, James Rodriguez. Uh, James, James. Who's been the, um, the star of, of the World Cup so far. Absolutely no question. And he scored again uh, in that game. Another fine goal, some lovely passing movement. Just an excellent performance for Colombia and they've been the most complete side in the tournament so far. So I think Luis Gustavo is missing, if I'm not wrong, from this course final because he picked up what I think is his second yellow card. Uh, It feels like a huge miss for Brazil because the rest of their midfield looks beyond average. Mm, Well, yeah, I mean, I guess Paulinho will come back into the side and uh, he hasn't been anywhere near as good, has he? Uh, as Gustavo. Gustavo, who looks like he should be in a 1920s jazz band, uh, I think, with that little moustache he's got. Uh, you know, ex- excellent facial hair there. Him and, I think it's Alvaro Pereira, but it might be Diego Pereira, one of the Pereiras uh, in in Uruguay, they could be in a band together. They've got a real matching jazz vibe going on. You're um, a matching pair of useless fullbacks as well there. <laughs> Maybe that's harsh. <laughs> not not the best. But um, yeah, yes, indeed. The only Uruguay player who was worthy of being on the pitch was uh, Diego Godin, who's a fine central defender. Had a fine World Cup, actually, I think. And I guess we'll get on to him a little bit later. But um, overall, Colombia just, just superior in every department. Well worth their 2-0 victory and well worth a quarterfinal shot at Brazil. They'll certainly give them a game. It'll be interesting because I have a have a feeling that they'll probably sit back and try and hit Brazil on the break rather than being, you know, sort of taking the game to Brazil in the way that Chile tried. So if you were like an alien who had no knowledge of the history of football and you just, the only football you'd ever watched was this World Cup, you would be predicting that Colombia would absolutely smash Brazil off the park, right? Because they've been head and shoulders above Brazil in terms of quality of play. Yeah. But we know it doesn't work like that, right? We know it doesn't work like that. I mean, Brazil are, are, warming, up, are warming up through this tournament, I think. I think they'll step up a level because they have to. And Colombia, some of this is mental, right? They're going to be playing uh, in Brazil's backyard and uh, it's an away game for them. And I wonder whether they might just not approach it like that and therefore cede some of the control and the impetus to Brazil. I might be totally wrong about that. 
I just have a feeling that's what they're going to do. We'll find out. They've certainly got the quality in the team to take the game to Brazil, though. You'd think with Peckerman in charge, they've got a very smart tactician at the helm who is going to be trying to instill in his players the sense that they are the better team heading into this fixture. Because if you look almost everywhere on the pitch, Colombia have been better than Brazil in this tournament. The the only caveat to that would be Neymar uh, in terms of performance. And actually Julio Cesar, excellent performance against Chile. But I mean, I... I feel I feel really reluctant to predict a Colombia win because you do think that that mental side of it is going to be crucial and the fact that it's Brazil in Brazil. But they could do it. Surely Colombia could do it, right? They could, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, they could. They've got the quality. And, uh, you know, in, in uh, Gutierrez and Martinez, they're going to have you know plenty of attacking quality up front. I mean, it d- depends how they play, of course. You know, they, we'll see whether they play you know, sort of what basically looks like a 4-4-2 sometimes. Uh, in Cuadrado and Rodriguez, they've got, you know, loads of quality coming from midfield. So, absolutely, they've got the players who can cause Brazil problems. Absolutely, they can score and uh, we'll just see. I just wonder whether Brazil might step it up. All right, so you predicting a Brazil win if, we, if we're doing I'm predicting a, a very narrow Brazil win, yes. Okay, well, I'm going out on a limb because I really want Colombia to win. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, just because I've enjoyed watching them so much in this tournament, I think, and it would just be amazing. I kind of wanted Chile to win, but halfway through that game, we are thinking, oh, if Brazil go out now, it's going to be a really depressing for the tournament as a whole sort of thing. It's always rough when the host nation goes out of World Cups and, and get them an extra game. They get to play the quarterfinals as well. But this is this can be as far as they go. And uh, and we'll see James Rodriguez and the boys do the job. Very good. So on to the next quarterfinal then. We have Holland or the Netherlands. Uh, depending on whether you're a Netherlands, Holland, Dutch fan, of course, because they shout Holland. But it's it's only an area of Holland. I know that. I know. But the football team is colloquially referred to as Holland. Exactly. So the country is Netherlands, not the Netherlands, but Netherlands. Uh, but yeah, but the football team, perfectly acceptable to refer to them as Holland. Okay, there you go. Versus the, the Costa Rica, uh, perfectly acceptable <laughs> to refer to them as uh, pretty bloody good during this tournament. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, really, partly... A massive snooze fest versus Greece, the Costa Rica game. Ma- massive, massive <laughs> snooze fest against your boys who just could bore paint while drying. And and, and partly, right. you know, massively dramatic, of course, because of uh, the nature of the narrative of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because I was writing about the game, when, when you're sort of writing about a game especially when you have to draw out tactical points, it's never quite as boring as when you're just watching it for the endeavor so actually even during the first half it was really funny because at halftime Michael Cox from Zonal Marking tweeted I don't think this is as bad as everyone's saying and that was kind of how I felt about it because actually tactically there was something really quite interesting going on because you had these two teams built on counter-attacking both trying to persuade the other one to counter-attack and not having any success in doing so whatsoever Mm. yes I wonder I I can't actually remember who said this now Uh, someone else said at halftime uh, I bet some of you are claiming right now that this is a really interesting tactical battle. <laughs> it was, though. <laughs> and I was thinking, hmm, yeah. Just not that entertaining right. for about 120 minutes. I'm not having... Uh, people have slated Greece for their lacking attack of endeavour. 23 attempts on goal to Costa Rica's seven in that game. Greece's problem is not attacking endeavour, it's attacking quality. This is clearly the case. Against Ivory Coast, they really came out of their shells too. It's the kind of easy cliche about Greece, and it certainly was thoroughly true in Euro 2004, but they absolutely tried to attack in this game. Yeah, yeah. They like defending like they like a philosopher, the Greeks. You know, it's (laughs) culturally built into their DNA. And talking of a philosopher... Massive shouts to Socrates Papastathopoulos, who has been, well, we'll talk about that later, but one of my central defenders of the tournament. Greece's back four have been really good all the way through this tournament. They have. They have. Very true. And and just while you're on that, sorry for interrupting, but uh, Lee Dixon. Now, can I can I just talk about Lee? Yeah, he's a nice man, and generally speaking, his, his punditry's okay. Got a little bit confused about old Socrates, 
like the philosopher, spelt the same way, uh, and thought it was a nickname. He was like, what a nickname that is. Interesting. Interesting indeed. It is quite difficult to work out sometimes with the Greek players what their nickname is versus what's just a different spelling in English. Anyway, it's a whole it's a whole Greek sub-editor nightmare, believe me. I mean, ultimately, Greece didn't win this game. Costa Rica, a fine goal. Basically, Greece is one defensive lapse in the whole game. Magnatis drawn too deep into the box and didn't spot that Brian Ruiz was sort of standing unmarked. And are you, are you giving Ruiz that as a deliberate goal or, or do you think he scuffed it? Hmm. <laughs> I think he might have scuffed it. Oh, he's a classy player. He's good enough to do that. It was, he was looking one way and, and <laughs> hit it into the other corner. So um, <laughs> it's certainly it's certainly a fine fight. I mean, you know, we're all forgiving the keeper the eyes, but maybe not, you know, deep into a World Cup round of 16 yeah um now we were all kind of like waiting for Greece to be knocked out of the tournament but they they don't go down easy and that remarkable last gas drama and then what a penalty shootout Ed after sort of 90 slightly let's say tactically interesting minutes and then 30 actually very exciting minutes penalties of the highest possible quality Uh, yeah some of them absolutely hammered into the top corner I mean wow some bravery or foolhardy (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure which, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going to miss, miss hard, right? Rather than dribbling it wide of the post. Yeah, and uh, Kilo Navas in the Costa Rica goal kept them in the in the game because Greece had plenty of chances. And then, well, he's been outstanding all tournament, Navas, and yeah. uh, apparently available for not very much money either. I think there'll be someone snapping him up for some very decent wages after the World Cup. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and that's an awful lot of time spent on Greece against Costa Rica, and Costa Rica are going to be playing. United in the next round I said United for the World Cup I've said you know I said last week FA Cup better than Carling Cup Premier League better than FA Cup Champions League better than Premier League World Cup better than everything else we are going to be the champions and you know we have a genius manager this is an average Holland side he's even said it Uh, they do not have that many good players. I mean, honestly, apart from Robin, I'm not sure I'd have too many of that Dutch squad at all at United. Maybe Memphis, and he's not even playing. And uh, this is an average side. He tinkers. He changed the formation three, maybe four times during the game against Mexico. Unbelievable, you know, switching around the formations and players just to squeeze that little bit out, and it worked for them. Also, I'm fairly convinced that some mafia boss has paid Louis van Gaal off in order to conduct an elaborate hit on Dirk Kout. Because otherwise, why would you play him at left-back in the sunshine in the first half, and then at half-time swap him at right-back so he's in the sunshine for the whole of the second half? as well well I thought that was brilliant obviously being an ex-scouser he deserves all he gets uh, quite quite hilarious I mean it's 38-39 in the sun I mean you know I know that's not how you normally uh, record a temperature you know 30 in the shade and high humidity believe me that is that is that is hard to sit around as we saw when the sunny side of the stadium emptied out completely yeah uh, you know if the fans are, are moving um, I'll tell you stuff. And it, and it wasn't a great game as a result, actually, you know, played in a very lethargic manner. And it doesn't half make me think how bad the World Cup in Qatar might be, even if they shift it to winter. There's not going to be a World Cup in Qatar. Um, not after this one. Uh, but anyway, about 70 minutes into that game, I tweeted, Holland would be a much better side if Wesley Schneider had not totally lost it. And I put totally lost it in capital letters. Uh, found it again all right, didn't he? Well, he certainly did. I mean, the interesting thing about Schneider is he starts off in the number 10 position and through the game, he goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And I don't think that's him going deeper. That was Van Gaal trying to get someone into the middle of the field that could actually keep the ball because Holland were having some real problems mm. with that. And, you know, and, and notwithstanding the fact that they've basically gone very direct through the tournament anyway, which is un-Van Gaal-like, but again, you know, he's devised a strategy to get the most out of his limited group of players. And But, yep, um, you know, right at the end, Schneider comes up with the goal, fine goal too, and, uh, you know, and the drama with a very, very, very last-minute penalty to 
break old Chicho's heart. I mean, how united is that? You know, 87 minutes into that game, it's 1-0 to Mexico and Holland win in, in normal time. Uh, Mexico would be doing them a, an immense disservice not to praise to the high heavens their performance in the first half of that game and probably up to about the 60-minute mark. Uh, they just looked exceptional and they just may be tired. They also got a bit unlucky. Robin dived, but Marquez sort of stuck out an exhausted leg and Robin should have had a penalty in the first. I don't know. I'm I. I don't big fan of Arjen Robin, but I wasn't particularly up in arms over that one. Well, no. I mean, Robin may have dived, but Marquez put a big billboard up saying, "Please fall over my <laughs> leg." So, uh, you know, what, you're asking for it, right? So, yes, look, players have bought penalties for for ever and ever and ever, and it is effectively cheating. But you know, don't give them the opportunity, uh, as uh, the Cameroonians will tell you. Uh, to Gary Lineker's face. <laughs> so that brings us to the quarterfinal between the Netherlands and Costa Rica, between Holland and Costa Rica. Costa Rica, you'd think, would come, would sit back and try and hit Van Hal's men on the counter-attack. We, we saw in the Australia game that actually they were slightly uncomfortable on the front foot, Holland. But I don't know, I, I feel like they must have got an enormous confidence boost from that turnaround at the end of that game and if I'm not mistaken it's not going to be played in the same sort of conditions as that game well no and you know they're all played uh, further south now no no more in Manaus and Fortaleza I think uh, right I think I'm right in saying that which are the uh, the two you know hot hot and humid conditions yeah, I I wonder whether Holland. I mean, I said this last time out. I wonder whether they'll they'll switch to four at the back now. It makes a lot of sense against Costa Rica. In fact, they did uh, in the second half against Mexico. And I just don't think they need the five defenders back there. I think they are going to be on the front foot. They need to get another body who can play the ball in midfield. And and he has a dilemma there because De Jong's out. He'll probably play Daily Blint in there, which is not bad actually because he's a very good passer of the ball. He's got absolutely no pace whatsoever which is why he switched from the left wing back, I think. So it might suit them okay to to play Blint in there and and actually get someone on the ball. And then how will they work the triumvirate of of Schneider and and Robin and Van Persie? It will be interesting to see whether they still stick with Schneider just behind the two or whether they push him to a little bit to the left. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't push Schneider to the left and Robin to the right. Uh, very interesting. And oh, it would be uh, extremely remiss while we, we're on the subject of Holland to not discuss him taking Robin Van Persie off when he did. Ah, yes. But I mean, I think I think it was the right call. Oh, you know? yeah. He, but that's... He, he needed some legs at that time. And I think, I think it's easy to... It'd be easy to read too. No, much no, no. I'm, I, I, you're misunderstanding my intention. What, what oh, I just wanted to point out was when Robin van Persie really desperately needed to be substituted against Newcastle United last season. David Moyes said, "How would it have looked if I took him off at that point?" Louis van Gaal took him off at that point. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And uh, no, no. It's a fair point. Yeah. Look, here's here's a man who's completely in control of of his thinking and very clear-headed all the time and, you know, a brilliant strategist and a fine tactician and made the right call, made the right call and it effectively won them the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, talking of winning the game, who's going to win? Uh, we're both going to predict a United win for this one, surely. Well, I, I think United will win, yeah. I, it's interesting because, you know, you're right in saying that, that United weren't very good uh, when, when uh, we took on... <laughs> Uh, the the Aussies in the group stages and you know it, it's it's one of those mental things isn't it I have to get back into that kind of attacking mentality of the Dutch and that's one of the reasons I wonder whether Van Hal might go to four at the back again just to put an extra body into midfield and try and get on the front foot. Yeah, and uh, Van Hal taking great advantage of uh, what Glenn Hoddle said. For me, these aren't cooling breaks, they're tactical breaks. Whilst I thought that was a completely ridiculous thing to say of people who could quite feasibly, all joking aside, die playing in heat like that without taking on enough fluids. But actually, Van Hal did totally use the second one as a tactical break, changed to a 4-3-3, yeah. Well, and so you said it afterwards. Yeah, completely, completely. And uh, and then Glenn Huddle went on a conspiracy rant suggesting, I think, that FIFA was somehow bringing them in for advertising purposes, which was uh, a little odd. Lol. Uh, lol, lol. Lol, Glenn Huddle. Yeah, he's he's a nut job, isn't he? You know, he's quite entertaining actually, but he is a nut job. And but yeah, Van Hull said afterwards that he, you know he used the break to you know change around the tactics, and absolutely, why not? 
So, uh, a Haaland win on the cards and uh, Van Haal in the semi-final. But we don't have to worry about that because he said even if they get to the World Cup final, he doesn't need a holiday. He's going to go fly straight out. I think the World Cup final's on the 13th and United's Tour of America starts on the 18th of July. And Van Haal will be there because he doesn't need a Van Haal a day. Every day's a Van Haal a day when you're Louis Van Haal. Very good. Well, yeah, he's uh, he said that all the United players that have gone out early have to turn up for the US Tour. So we'll see Wayne Rooney in the US. He's already in the US larging it up in Vegas at the moment <laughs> looking after his body I'm sure Lukey Shaw will be out there too so it'd be interesting to see because that's been done since we last recorded right I think we in, in the last show we were talking about him yes uh, maybe being at Carrington for medical I was slightly cynical about that but he was yep. so there you go he, he was indeed signed and a huge amount of money spent yep. uh, by United in the last few days the first of many maybe we'll see yeah uh, and uh, Ed Woodward finally doing his job. Absolutely. It's uh, it's exciting times. Good question here, right? So uh, apart from Van Persie and Van Hal, are there any other United players left in the tournament? Uh, yes. I think Yes, not. of course. Of course, because we are now coming to... Excusez-moi. Ah, on yes. va discuter par un minute de le sujet de l'équipe de Patrice Evra, non? Oui, oui. Le sange dans le mange. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes absolutely no <laughs> sense whatsoever. The, the monkey's in the food. Ce n'est pas bien ça. On veut pas mettre le singe dans le manche. Anyway, it's quite late at night, so you'll have to forgive us. Uh, La Belle France joue contre Germany in the next round, uh, the quarterfinals. Neither of these teams entirely convincing in their quarterfinals. I would say particularly Germany were pretty unconvincing against Algeria. They weren't very convincing against the US in their final group game either. Yeah, I mean... I'm, I'm, or Ghana. Or Ghana. I'm, I'm waiting for them to really spark into life because they've got so many high-quality players. And, you know, they're trying to get the right system. Is it Schweinsteiger who should be in there? Is it Kadira who should be in there? Uh, how do they use Cruz, who sometimes slows the game down more than they really want to? How they get the best out of Muller? Is he a false nine? Is he a striker? Should they have closer in the side as a as a more of a focal point? You know, they're insisting on playing Lam in the centre of midfield when maybe they should shift into fullback because that's where the, one of their weaknesses is and get Kadira and Schweinsteiger in the middle. How do they use Goetze because they're not using him? And loads and loads and loads of questions. And I went a bit Lawrenson for a second there about Germany. And, you know, they're going to have to answer them pretty quick because France are going to... Uh, are going to you know give them a real game in this quarterfinal uh, yeah absolutely uh, our mutual friend Simon is married to a German lady and about three minutes into the game he put on Facebook that she was already calling for Miroslav Closer so this was not a good sign but yeah Germany were woeful in that game and really lucky and it was horrendous proper heartbreak stuff for Algeria you really felt like Algeria needed to score in those 90 minutes and they would have done were it not for the remarkable I don't know I can't think of a better word than antics of Manuel Neuer uh, a sweeper keeper in the most René Higuita sense well and the thing is that uh, in Hoverdez and and Mertesacker they've got a couple of guys that I mean it has to be seen to be believed how slow these guys are it's like they're on permanent slow motion and especially Mertesacker and they held the most incredible high line you know, almost pushing up to the halfway line when these guys can't run more than 10 yards in 10 seconds, let alone 100. And uh, and so all the time the ball was going over the top, you know, seeking to get those Algerian runners through. And, and there was Neuer flying out with his head and tackles and everything to try and clean up. And he did it incredibly successfully. You know, the Algerian counter-attacking threat was essentially single-handedly neutered by Manuel Neuer, which I've never seen anything quite like that game, basically. Because yeah. as you say, you've got the, the world's slowest defence playing a really high line against incredibly pacey and potent attacking. Slimani looked really good. I thought that basically the entire Algerian front five looked really impressive on the counter. Al Algeria just generally looked excellent in that game. And it was just that kind of when it got to 90 minutes... Germany scored so quickly in extra time, much like Belgium did tonight, 
So it had that sense at that point, well, this is this they're not gonna come back from this. Although there was that little tiny late flourish of drama, but it was it was too late. But how did Mesa Erzil end up like the records will show that Mesa Erzil scored in that game? Nobody's gonna be talking in a hundred years when they look back at the records of what a stinker he had. Proper stinker, yeah. Well, you know, that's it's one of the things about Erzil, he's got so much talent and just he's beautiful on the ball and he creates and scores goals and drifts into space, but then he just drifts out of the game completely. He's not so much drifted out of the game as drifted out of the season this season in about November, and he's never been back. Yeah, I, and it's it's very frustrating, I suppose, if you're an Arsenal fan or you're a Germany fan, because you know he's a man who's got as much talent as any playmaker on the planet, and he's just not applying it. And you know you you've got to wonder how you get the best out of him. Do you have to play with a more structured? midfield and, and and just give him the ball play him in the center you know he's coming off wide areas all the time and is that suiting him the best is the balance of the team right you know I kind of alluded to it earlier I think that's Germany's major problem really the balance of the side because they've got so many talented players and you know this time around they played with Muller and Ozil and Goethe as the front three to start with Schweinsteiger started not Kadira Lahm's the sort of holder and Cruz well you know, just a brilliant player, but what is his role in the side? He gets the ball more than anyone else and just kind of rotates possession, but is that enough? You know, and you just wonder whether he's going to be more dangerous in a more forward position. So I just just wonder whether they're going to make some tough decisions about which of those five or six players actually play. I think there's interesting questions about Joachim Love and, like... Pep Guardiola has had such an effect on this team in one season at Bayern Munich because... They sort of are kind of trying a bit to play Tiki Taka a little bit, but they, they're not really doing that because it's not by Munich and Love isn't coached in that tradition. But he has done the thing of converting Lam to defensive midfielder, which has worked extremely well for Pep, but really doesn't look like it's working well for Germany. So there is this kind of, it's almost like Love's got the, the shadow of Pep over his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be tempted. I mean, it kind of depends on Mustafi, is he fit or not? I suppose it, it looked like he might not be. If he is fit, he's, he's a nice attacking fullback and, you know, maybe move Lam to the other one. Then you've got some width from attacking fullbacks and just go a bit narrower because that's where their talent is. You know, I'd be tempted to move Tony Cruz a bit forward and, and play Closer and Moller and Cruz kind of going behind and then pick one other of the talented players whether it's Ozil or Goetze and then you know have a solid base in Kadir and, and Schweinsteiger and I've probably got about 13 players in there but <laughs> you know I, I just don't think the balance is quite right there I'd be I'd be tempted for them to go much more narrow and use the width in the, the fullbacks because they do have some attacking fullbacks they just insist on not playing them. yeah absolutely and and they're going to have to be a lot better to beat France who now I might be very biased about this but I think France have been easily in the top I don't know well, definitely in the top five sides so far in this tournament. Not saying much when there's only eight teams left in it, but let's say top three, maybe. I've been really impressed with them and they looked especially impressive. I was talking on Twitter with uh, Sam Teague from the Bleacher Report who writes all their tactical previews. And when I was saying it seems extraordinary that they're sacrificing Benzema's most effective qualities to play Giroud in the side. And he said he thinks it's because Nigeria tend to crowd out the middle of the park. So Deschamps tried to do it to give uh, Benzema more space operate but instead Benzema basically got a Rooney style hump as far as I could tell and just was not putting himself into the game and when he did get the ball he he just wasn't switched on but as soon as Giroud came off for Griezmann and then Benzema switches into the middle France looked a completely different side well yeah but it took them an hour to get there didn't it Mm, yeah I mean look you know uh, Deschamps has found the the answer in the end um, you know, Benzema is just so much more mobile than Giroud. I honestly couldn't understand why they played him up there. It just seemed to blunt France's attack, uh, you know, a loss. And it just wasn't a good game for an hour as a result. But, you know, eventually they found it, got the very late goals. And, and they deserved the win in the end, I think, against Nigeria. But, you know, it might not have happened for them if they hadn't, uh, hadn't spotted exactly where it was going wrong. And it be interesting to see the balance that they play as well against uh, against Germany because you know I think they have to attack and I think they have to attack by playing Griezmann and Valbuena and Benzema as their front three if they don't do that they're crazy as far as I'm concerned if they if they don't do that I mean I, I think 
in Matuidi and Pogba, you've got maybe the best two in any four, two, three, one anywhere in the tournament. Or and, and if you include Kabaye, I think that's probably the best midfield three, even in terms of how functional it is. And in fact, it is more of a four-three-three because previously he's played Kabaye advanced of Pogba and Matuidi. But in this one, like Kabaye is basically, I don't know, he's he's holding and Pogba and Matuidi are alternating who goes and who stays. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely balance to the midfield if they if they get it right, but. You know, they, they unbalanced their attacking unit, didn't they, for an hour or so against Nigeria. And I, I'd be surprised they make the same mistake again. The one thing you'd say about Giroud is that, you know, if you have him in the side, not only do you have that, you know, in theory, the aerial threat, but you also have a player who's going to hold the ball up better than Benzema. Benzema's always looking for the ball in front of him. Mm. Uh, where Giroud won't do that. So it kind of depends on whether they think they're going to take the game to Germany or not. Because really, they're not, right? Germany are going to have the ball more often. Cruz is going to get the ball a loss and Germany are going to have 60% possession. Which the question is then, are France going to use their pace? Or are they going to need someone up there to hold the ball? I mean, I don't think Germany will have 60% possession. I mean, we might be splitting hairs, but I don't think it'll be quite that high. I kind of totally agree that it's going to be over 50. But actually, France have used the ball really well uh, when they've had it. Valbuena's had a magnificent tournament. What a player he looks. I don't know. I, I if, really if the lad grew a bit, he'd, he'd be a real <laughs> talent, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, uh, Nigeria brilliant for the first 60 minutes of that game defensively rock solid I mean Giroud made it quite easy for them but Enyema again excellent I've really loved watching him play and uh, did you see the thing with Messi in the tunnel Enyema and Messi when uh, Enyema was complaining to the referee that, that Messi kept getting free kicks he said he's so much better and I'm so bleep and then uh, the referee said no if you were if you were rubbish he didn't say rubbish he used to swear he said if you were rubbish you wouldn't be here you know it was a nice moment anyway Mind uh, you, he likes to flap Enyema doesn't he? he he got a bit flappy he got a li- maybe a little flappy but I don't know he more than makes up for it I think in quality uh, in general as your art stopper as the pundits might say I, I, uh, I, I don't comment. think I don't think that's fair though. I really don't think that's fair about Nyema. I think his box control is generally good, and he only got flappy when it got really nervous in that game. That's my take on it anyway. And I think mm, if you squeaky bung time for him, so yeah, maybe the box control wasn't so good. If you put him behind a really solid back four, I think you'd find a, a very very top quality keep. Anyway, we can agree to disagree on that for sure because we should predict who's going to win between France and Germany. Horrendously difficult to predict this one. Horrendously difficult I think the Germans might just step up and uh, I think they've got superior quality just but you know it comes down to the details because that that German back four was a what a mess that was in the last round so France can definitely take advantage I just think Germany gonna do it I mean I, I kind of understand why you're saying that but that is properly throwing the form book out the window isn't it because yeah on form France should much similar to Colombia uh, and uh, Brazil only with less of an inferiority complex. I, I, I'd make France reasonable favourites for this game. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being over over cocky. Um, but uh, of course, I would absolutely love it if France uh, France won this game. I, I think I'm right in saying they haven't met in the World Cup since 1982, and that game. Oh, uh, bad. Uh, Joel Schumacher, Ed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joel Schumacher's uh, you know long lost uh, nephew. Yeah, Harold Schumacher <laughs> trying to kill Battiston with his flying oh, legs. God, that was grim. No, they definitely met since then because uh, the same thing happened when they played in 86 in the semi-final right. in 86 and he took someone oh, else out because yeah. uh, he was an evil man who liked killing Frenchmen. Yeah, as far as I could work out. Terrible. <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah, so I'm just predicting a Germany win. I, I, I may... Uh, I may change my mind I'm, I'm kind of like given the fact that you were right about all the things we disagreed on in the in the in the round of 16 I'm reluctant to predict the opposite but I have to because uh, I'd be just gutting to go out to Germany uh, well we should call this cluff cast really because you know we haven't argued for an hour and then we decide I'm right <laughs> right yes quite about some things but not all of the things hopefully not about this one because I really just a little blur come on Patrice we don't want Patrice not being in the World Cup anymore. Uh, well, yes, 
yes. I mean, you you split loyalties, though. You know, you you let's let's admit it. You're part German here, Paul. Listen, without getting into the history of the whole thing, let's just say I was brought up with closer connections to France. Uh, yeah, very good. So, how are your connections to Argentina and Belgium, which is our final quarterfinal? Well, I've definitely been to Belgium and read some Tintin books, and I think Leo Messi's really good. There you go. That's, I think that's all you need to know. Muscles, beer. Tintin, Poirot. And Adnan Yanazai. And Adnan Yanazai, who's not playing, except in the, <laughs> the final group game. And he, he really wasn't very good. He looked no. like a rabbit caught in the headlights. So, um, Phil Mott said he was there for the experience. And uh, that's about all it's going to be from here on out, I think. Anyway, so um, not a great couple of games, these two. So uh, Argentina up first against Switzerland, which was pretty poor quality for much of it. Yeah, the worst game in the round, I think. Uh, worse than Costa Rica, Greece, as far as I'm concerned. Fast forwarded through loads of it because I was at work and came home to watch the recording and just ended up like just thinking. So I just played it on double speed to make it slightly more watchable. But yeah, real lack of pace. Again, conditions play their part in that. And also Hitzfeld, he said beforehand he had a plan to deal with Messi and that was just to stick two people on him all the time and to keep... 10 men behind the ball for most of the game it kind of revert to old Switzerland there yes they could have made a couple of clocks so during the game given uh, how few chances Argentina created at times anyway yeah it just just wasn't a good game and a lot of that was down to the Swiss tactics of course and and Messi um, brilliant on occasion just couldn't make the uh, the final pass count until it really counted right at the end I mean, it almost looked like they weren't... When when Portugal played, basically every time they had an attack, they were all looking to see where Ronnie was and tried to get him the ball. They weren't doing that with Messi in this game at all. They were looking to switch up the angles of attack and cross the ball to Higuain a lot and stuff. And I just was thinking, you got literally got Lionel Messi standing there and you're choosing not to use him to try and break down this really stubborn defence. Mm. Yeah, but it also looked like they changed their formation around. You know, we talked about this last time out in the podcast, exactly how they're going to use Messi. I mean, at first they tried his 4-3-3, then they tried him playing deep. They haven't really tried him in the false nine position, which is the one he plays for Barcelona, of course. And yeah, they're still trying to work out how to get the best out of him because, you know, they... That has, as the Catalans like to say, they have a messy dependency, right? Yeah. You know, and and even with all that attacking talent, they still need to get the best out of him. And you know, you've got to say that it doesn't look like Lavezzi's the answer. <laughs> no, he was pretty poor, wasn't he? And and Di Maria, a bit of a calamitous game, all in all, until a fine, fine finish to win it. Yeah, I, there was a good period of time where they were playing the David Boys patented four four one one in that game with Messi properly behind the striker in the Wayne Rooney role. Messi a little bit better at it than Wayne Rooney is. It's interesting because I think they're really fortunate to be facing Belgium, who I imagine are going to somewhat park the bus against them because they've shown no reticence to defend, have they? The USA-Belgian game, the first half had quite a lot of action in it. I don't know, I wasn't super into it, but basically it really started to pick up in the second half of the second half. And from then until the end of the game, it was absolutely breathless. Yeah, I mean, let's uh, let's just talk about the narrative of the game, right? Because it was just so close, you know, pretty cagey. And I suppose tactical and, and you know, the see the thing with the USA and we've said this before is they don't have a lot of talent in there, right? But you know, boy are they the the best unit in the in the World Cup. You know, just just obviously coached very well, uh, very, very well drilled. They played a lot and lot a lot of friendlies. You know, they're almost like a club side, aren't they? You know, if you took them as a mid-table Premier League side that's hard to beat that's them and they're squeezing the best out of what they've got and you know so it was like that for an hour or so wasn't it and then it just kind of opened up and then it became end-to-end and it was really good and then you know you just thought the USA were shot and uh, you know half the team was uh, dead on their feet they look knackered they've played with such intensity through the tournament looked like it all gone Belgium scored twice and then where did that come from? The last 15 minutes, second half of extra time. Uh, USA, just absolutely brilliant. The intensity, uh, you know, wave after wave of attack and just couldn't make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Tim Howard, uh, Chris Woods there, former Manchester United goalkeeping coach, did an excellent job, clearly. But Tim Howard looks a different player when he plays for the USA. He looks like he grows a foot and he he's the man in that side, isn't he? And he's sort of on all the posters and all that kind of thing. And it, he just 
he looked like he was never going to be beaten. There was a sort of, it was a magic spell almost cast over him in that game. And, and he looked so, so distraught when De Bruyne's goal went in. A, a fine finish from De Bruyne, it's worth saying. Yeah, fine finish. And, and one of the very few mistakes that the, the USA uh, back forward made, they had the chance to clear that twice and didn't do. And this is the thing, you know, it, for the most part during this tournament, they've defended so well and they've defended so well because, you know, they, have to, they actually have some very good players back there. Surprisingly, you know, Beesler and Gonzalez have been outstanding all tournament, uh, along with Howard. So they played Johnson right back for most of the tournament. And then, you know, he got he came off and Yedlin. Wow. I mean, where did that where come did this from? Guy come from? I mean, cheeky bid or what? Just on the basis of that last 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, the guy is super quick and uh, talk about an attacking fullback. You prepared to go full Poborski for him? Yeah, yeah, why not? You know, just <laughs> throw a couple of, What's he going to cost? Can't be much. <laughs> the USA kept tweaking their hamstrings. And uh, Raymond, what's his name? Verheyen. Verheyen. Raymond Verheyen had been piping up about Klinsman, saying, oh, yeah, I noticed another hamstring's gone there. Because the cost that they are paying for the, the intensity of their performance is those drills. Like, Klinsman's an incredibly physical coach, isn't he? They are overtrained uh, in true Moyes fashion. Yes, and as a result they they looked shot, didn't they? So yeah. so Zuzi in particular looked knackered. Uh, Jermaine Jones who's been Jones who's been immense the whole tournament looked shot as well. Beckerman they left on the bench because obviously, you know, he was gone. Cameron was, you know, he came into midfield and and for all the running he did, he lacked quality and they kind of traded that off, didn't they? So yeah, you know, clearly they'd come to the end. Uh, in terms of their the intensity they could give, I yeah. suppose, and and you'd fear for them in the next round as a result. But you know, in the end, they didn't make it. But but boy, could they could they have made it? They created what three or four really good chances right near the end of the game, including the free that kick free of kick. the tournament <laughs> bounced off Clint Dempsey's shins. Otherwise, he would have scored. And it's not patronising to say they've had a really good tournament and uh, they've got more out of this team than many people thought they would. Absolutely. And talking of, uh, you say it's the free kick of the tournament. It's obviously the second best free kick of the tournament because the best free kick of the tournament was the one Thomas Muller fell over. <laughs> no, 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 he planned that. <laughs> that is the funniest thing that's ever happened in the whole of human history. All the attempts at comedy, everything that's ever happened. The two happiest people on the planet watching that were Thierry Henry and Robert Pires because their set piece mess up has been beaten by Thomas Muller. Yes, I mean, like five Germans run over the ball, and there's Muller supposed to run over the ball as well and run into the box to get the chipped through ball, and he just trips over his own laces or something. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful scenes. Um, but yeah, huge respect to the USA. Algeria and the USA were, and Greece, in fact, they, they all three of them put in proper heartwarming mega shifts and it was it was really sad to see them all go but yeah fantastic fantastic performances by by all of them on on the wrong end and Belgium I think you've also got to give some credit to Belgium because they've not been very impressive at all in this tournament but bringing Lukaku on really made all the difference didn't it well, they've got some talent on the bench, that's for sure. You know, they can really, they can make a difference on the bench. Not all sides can do that. And, you know, we we, uh, we had a debate right at the beginning uh, of our World Cup specials about whether they're dark horses or whether they're too good to be dark horses. I think they're back to being dark horses, right? Because they just haven't performed very well. But they keep winning, right? They are in the quarterfinals of the World Cup without really playing very well. It's not really a surprise that they can't get all that talent to click because they're playing Mauro and Fellaini in the centre of midfield and not to lump onto the poor fella, but he's just not very good and he's so static and he's just a, a just a very, very average central midfielder. So it's very hard to get all those super creative players around. I mean, you know, we're United fans. We know what it's like to have good players not being able to be brought into games because of the central midfield. Would they be more dynamic if they played Chadley or Dembele in the middle there? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Would they keep the ball more? You know, I just don't understand. I, I, you know, I, Danny Murphy was banging on and on and on and on and on about it. You know, so there's part of me going, this is a scasser attacking our player. There's part of me going, no, he's right. You know, he's absolutely right. It's terrible. That is terrible. 120 minutes of a co-commentator, a Liverpool co-commentator attacking a Man United player. Every time he says it going, yep, no, fair enough. 
You know, uh, you know there's a bit two minutes from time when Fellaini just basically walked it out of play. <laughs> and you're like, what? Definitely a WTF moment. I, I love yeah. the guy too. Like even the elbow thing is horrible. But apart from that, like there's something really endearing about him. But it's just a shame he's not better. Talking of Fellaini, I think he's one of the reasons why I'm predicting an Argentina win. Even though Argentina have not been desperately impressive, I thought they sort of relapsed against Switzerland. But I think that's partly conditions, partly Switzerland's tactics. But as you say, it's not all clicked yet. I still think they're going to have too much for Belgium because they've got Messi and Messi's too much for everyone. Yes, they've got Messi, but they've also got Fernandez and Garay uh, in the centre of defence, you know. Yeah. And and if Belgium yeah. decide that they can have a go at Argentina, then they've definitely got a chance. You know, you suspect that they'll 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 be a bit more cautious and they'll try and play on the break, and uh, and they can definitely do that because they've got the players to do it. You know, Mertens and Azard and uh, Ogli Oglery and o- Origi. Origi. Azard and Mertens and Origi up front are definitely going to cause problems if they get enough of the ball in attacking areas. And that's the big question, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, it's going to be a cracker. I'm predicting an Argentina win. Yep, I, I can't I can't not predict an Argentina win because they've, they've got Messi. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough call because, you know, I've basically been pretty disappointed with Argentina for all the attacking talent they've got. They're not really applied it very often. They have to find the right balance. Belgium could do it because, you know, they've got quality there. But you look at the way that the USA came back at them and they just gave away all the impetus. And you, you kind of figure that will probably happen against Argentina. Argentina will will be on the front foot and Belgium just don't look very good when they're, they're not attacking. I tell you, if Louis van Gaal was managing Belgium, I'd make them favourites to win this World Cup. Or Peckerman, in fact, you know, or, or the guy that was the, the Chile coach. You know, there's there's a a really yeah a really good attack minded tactical coach um i i think i think Wilmots is he's he's will moyes you know yeah yeah no he's just a bit cautious yeah i mean you know i'll tell you what this world cup has told me what the hell were we doing hiring david moyes <laughs> so a year today a year today as we record this the 1st of july 2013 he took office uh, with the with the mouse not on the mouse mat and everything Going into next season with Van Hal, I was excited about it anyway. But this watching this World Cup, it's like, you know, I'm not saying everything he does is going to be right and it's all going to be sweetness and light and roses. But his tactical play in this World Cup has been some of the best I've ever seen in all my life, without exception. You know, it's without hyperbole. It's been completely extraordinary. No hyperbole, he says, well... giving us a minute of hyperbole (laughs) no no but it's only hyperbole if it's exaggeration right that's why i'm saying is this is i i can't think of a tournament in my life where i've ever seen a team so much greater than the sum of its parts because of the manager's tactical input no you're right you're right i mean there's certainly been uh, average sides that have done well in world cups you know you think of argentina in 86 uh, not a lot of talent there, apart from Messi. Not Messi, sorry, Maradona. Yeah, easy slip to make that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, their sole tactic was give it to Maradona, uh, which which worked fine. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Wasn't exactly on the manager that was it? You know, not that he was did a bad job, but you know, you know what I'm saying. It's like it's it, it is enough to get a person excited about their manager, isn't it? Yep. Okay, so we are predicting Brazil, Netherlands. Uh, France or Germany I think we're split on that one no I'm we're split on Brazil too I'm predicting a Colombia win okay okay so Brazil or Colombia Netherlands or Costa Rica France <laughs> or Germany or Argentina or Belgium well there you go we're not on the fence at all at this show we both agree about Argentina we both agree about the Netherlands uh, the other two we've picked opposite sides there I think that's well, reasonable fair enough so that's the quarterfinals should be good I'm looking forward to it that's over the weekend uh, we have a couple of days break. Is, what? Oh, it's just wrong, isn't it? Um, except I'm going to see Monty Python in London, which I'm really excited about. So that's kind of a. I was, I was like really glad I didn't end up missing any football. Oof, that's a big trek for you. That's like going from Manaus to Porto Alegre. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Uh, so we've uh, we've had a number of questions to the Rankcast this week. Uh, after last week's uh, very Manchester United centric questions, I thought it'd be good to uh, to get some World Cup themed questions. And at Chicky underscore Babes says an eleven made with only one player from each team allowed. Yes. Well, I've had a think. Now the thing about this is it's the only one team 
allowed. That's your problem, right? So, yeah, of so course. This is yeah, definitely yeah. not going to be the best eleven of the World Cup. And and it no, might, no. I might even once we get into talking about it, realize I've been a total idiot. But you know, hey, so, so I'll give you my eleven, and then then you can go and argue with it, right? So, so okay. I'm going for Maynor Navas as my goalkeeper. Okay, Costa Rican goalkeeper. My yeah. back four is Serge Aurier from the Ivory Coast. Oh, good shout! Omar Gonzalez, who's from the USA, has been absolutely brilliant through the tournament. Diego okay. Godin from Uruguay. That's probably a bit controversial, but I think he was their standout player. Okay, and uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, who I've banged on about for a long time, who so, would, would have been about a third the price of uh, Luke Shaw. That's our that's our first uh, match. So oh, I'll do mine in a sec, but yeah, I've got I've got Rodriguez in there too. Okay, uh, in midfield, and this is impossible. Yeah, uh, I'm going for uh, Sofiane Feguli from Algeria, outstanding oh, yeah. player. James Rodriguez, yeah. obviously. Yeah, cheating a bit by putting him in midfield. Yeah, uh, I've not done that. And uh, Arturo Vidal, it could have been Pogba, could have been Matuidi. Uh, you know, I just picked him because I like him. Yeah. And up front, I'm going for Arjun Robin, Lionel Messi and uh, Neymar. Okay, uh, that's really good. I played, uh, we've both, both gone 4-3-3, which is like brilliant because normally best 11s are always a 4-4-2, but that feels really anachronistic in this World Cup to do a 4-4-2. A so we've both gone for 4-3-3. I've gone for a Neymar in goal. Um, I, the other options would have been Ochoa and Navas, but I wanted uh, players from their team in the outfield positions. Uh, I've, but you made me regret it with your Serge Aurier pick because uh, I might have gone with Navas and Aurier, but I've gone with Enyema and Christian Gamboa, who's uh, the right wing back for Costa Rica, who has been excellent in every game until the Greece game when he was unable to cope yep. with Jose Holobas, um, who had a br- brilliant game. Yeah, but who is another is another fine fine uh, wing back as well. Yeah. Well, Gambo has been bombing up and down that that wing for the whole tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at centre back, cover. If I hadn't been covering Greece, I might not have picked him. But covering Greece, so 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 impressed with Socrates Papastopoulos, and yep. I, I would have him at United. He's been excellent. Yeah, I, you know, I, he's a bit short, but um... <laughs> he's not that short. Um, Manolas as well. Uh, the who I could have equally had Manolas, that the young Greek centre back. Yeah. Um, so, so philosophically, I didn't pick any Greeks because they're <gasps> boring, <laughs> so harsh, and so not fair. Um, Halice from Algeria uh, yeah. alongside him in the centre. We, we had but... a debate about whether he's the most Algerian-looking man in uh, the history uh, of Algerian-looking men. Dude looks proper Algerian. I really like his beard. Like. I, I try not to talk about beards too much on this podcast, but a fine beard on Halice and Rodriguez at left back like you. In the centre of uh, midfield, no no shared picks because I've not cheated. I've gone for Gustavo from Brazil. Yeah. Pogba, could have gone Pogba or Matuidi. Went Pogba, got that goal in the last game and just offers that something. Um, and Hector Herrera, who's the reason that I didn't put Ochoa in goal. I think Hector Herrera's had a very fine game. Three excellent picks, all all being excellent players. This and time. then up front, Rodriguez, Messi, and uh, Arjen Robin uh, leaving out Neymar. Controversial, was really tough. And the other player that I didn't want to leave out was Alexis Sanchez. Yep. So I, I left out Alexis, didn't want to leave him out, but I picked Vidal instead, and you know could have gone for a different balance there. Um, you know, you you've got to say something about Muller. Scored a ton of goals. Matuidi, I mentioned Jermaine Jones from the USA has been excellent. Would you have Jermaine Jones at United? <laughs> no, I think he's a functional player, but he's great in that system and he's had a really yeah. good tournament. Uh, Pjanic, I mean, I know Bosnia were disappointing, but he was excellent. For... He was. And, and actually, when they finally won a game, he was brilliant. Yeah, Cuadrado, the Colombian on the right wing, yeah. uh, been uh, excellent. Uh, Ameru, I, you know, he's... Um, up there with some of the best and obviously uh, Bravo the Chile keeper has been outstanding as well for the whole tournament as well as all the keepers you mentioned oh and Gary Medell yeah yeah he's yeah Gary gotta love Gary Medell he's he's only four foot two uh, you know he's he's challenging uh, Valbuena for shortest man in the tournament aside from some of those very confused ball boys and uh, mascots uh, and uh, but he's been excellent too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, let's just do a couple of quick questions. <laughs> At AB Five Y says, when do you think cricket's going to become big in the US? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we may be waiting some time. I mean, it's uh, it's not quite big in the UK, and uh, we're three hundred <laughs> years in. So. <laughs> Um, at Sean KDLA says should we sign free agent Ashley Cole as a mentor to Patrice Evra no United related questions um, no 
at Paul Gunning once is how silly does David Luiz look in yellow? I don't think he looks... He looks silly in any colour. <laughs> he's, he's a good man. At Fino76, Fino76 asks what I think is a serious question here, which is should the water breaks take place in a neutral area of the pitch, given the sort of tactical input that, that happened? Why? So what? I mean... Uh, you know, coaches try and have a tactical input all the time by screaming from the touchline and just happen to to be there closer. You know, the, the best coach is going to take advantage of that in the best way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then some other person on a different podcast is using the hashtag Rankcast. It's outrageous. I've just checked though. They've only got 149 followers, so I'm not worried yet. What, what are they? Should we sue? Are they a football podcast? No, they're not. Yeah. they're ranting about stuff then. it's probably like a more accurate use of the name um, and a, a final question this is both Manchester United and World Cup related at Bad Teeth Dentist says if the Netherlands make it to the final what are the odds some United fans will hire a plane to fly a welcome Van Gaal banner across the stadium or well, we could reuse the David Moyes out one <laughs> yeah we could just as a post ironic joke this one's a good one another one from ab5y says have any players who rose to prominence during a world cup have they ever gone on to have a really good career Mm, michael owen (laughs) so so harsh (laughs) yeah no you're right he didn't really have a good career no he didn't um i i think generally speaking it's not so much that the the players that have captured everyone's attention like the Hammers Rodriguez thing like we're all talking about him at this World Cup and we haven't been talking about him all through last season generally but he did go to Monaco for (laughs) 45 million million euros so it's not exactly like this is his kind of coming out debutante thing no 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 look you know his talent is no surprise to anyone it's just he's playing at Monaco and not in the Champions League so unless you watch a lot of League 1 I watch a bit of it. You won't have seen a lot of him last season. No, absolutely. Um, but I, I do think, and and you know, like Diego Maradona was an international footballing superstar before 1986 World Cup. But the 1986 World Cup did properly cement his legacy, didn't it? That it, specifically the goal against England. I mean, maybe that's a bit of Anglo-centric bias, but yeah. But that moment firmly proved to everyone that he was Diego Maradona with a capital DM. Of course, he he been and gone from Barcelona by that time but yeah uh, absolutely but um, yeah no completely look this is the world stage it's the focus of the the you know the entire planet is on these games that's why it's so big that's why FIFA makes all this money that's why the you know there are 50,000 people in a stadium in Illinois watching the USA crazy stuff yeah I mean and and you know I've loved seeing it get big in America I know it's like it's easy. It's so easy to make fun of American soccer fans. I don't. I don't mean the kind of people that are listening to this podcast who are proper hardcore football fans. I mean the kind of people that don't really follow soccer but pick it up during the World Cup. There, there, there's a, you know, it would be like me talking about NFL or baseball or something. You know, it's completely ill-informed and just like say, well, so why? Why is he? standing there waiting for the man to throw the ball at him you know that kind of thing yeah it has an endearing quality anyway but baseball which is basically designed just so you can eat hot dogs and drink beer <laughs> for the entire game i've been to a few baseball games funnily enough over the years i've been to fenway and i've been to whatever the one in san diego is called and uh, the new yankees stadium and a few others actually just random you know you're there in the states you go see some sport right even now, after seeing quite a few games, I can't quite get the point of it. So a guy stands on a lump of dirt, he throws the ball so fast you cannot see it, and very, 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 very rarely someone hits it. <laughs> and you you hear the sound before you see it because you can't see the bloody thing because it's going so fast, which, which just feels very un-American, yet they say it's the American sport because, you know, we're, we're used to thinking of Americans of wanting more action and goals and you know the complaint about football is there's not enough goals well no one ever does anything in baseball <laughs> ever anyway, I, I that's quite, my rant about baseball and i'll be hated for some time i, I quite like baseball i should say at this point it's just not cricket 
Do you like American football? I really like American no. football. Do you not? I can't I... stand it. It's too contrived for me. It's um, it's all drawn out in a in a. David Moyes would like it. He could get his PowerPoint out and uh, you know call the plays. I, I love it. I find it sort of weirdly a good American football play is like one of the. Uh, I'm going to use an American type phrase. It's like one of the most electrifying moments in sports when you get a, a good American football play, like a, a, mm. a really well executed running play or, or a fantastic kind of smart pass and there's so much kind of nuance and tactics I, I like American football very good well uh, that's a that's a diversion yeah that, that won't have... yeah I like the World Cup a lot more I've been electrified by the World Cup I'll tell you that <laughs> uh, phenomenal I mean I, I just can't quite believe what we're being treated to I, you go into the World Cup and, and as I said at the beginning of this World Cup that in my mind there is really no such thing as a bad World Cup I'll watch a bunch of turgid nil-nil draws played in the heat and still get quite a lot out of it because it's the World Cup but when you're seeing relentless relentless drama either every game has either been of a really high standard or has had loads of drama or both you know Mm. it's just been absolutely phenomenal it has you should be forced to watch Greece versus Tajikistan in a stadium in the middle of the Sahara Desert over and over and over again then CV is so enthusiastic what? <laughs> That's, that seems like an unnecessary way to diminish what is, I think, probably quite a positive quality. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, you're right. It's been absolutely great. Of course, we've got two days off, which which in a way is good because, you know, you need to wean yourself off the drug because the tournament is coming to a close, my friends. It is. There's uh, eight games left and one of them yeah. doesn't really count. So No, that's right. You know this World Cup final nonsense. It's the third <laughs> place playoff is where the action is. Yeah. No, you're you're right. It's it's, it's very nearly over. And it's the, the, the two quarterfinal days are kind of the right way around because there's this two day break, but it's not two day break and then Argentina versus Belgium reopening proceedings it's two day break then explosion of football because France against Germany and Brazil against Colombia on the same day it should be great stuff at the weekend it should be great stuff Uh, thoroughly looking forward to it Uh, I hope you guys are too listening and um, thank you very much for listening to these World Cup Rankers a surprisingly large audience for these I thought we might just be talking to ourselves and our mates and our family (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's lovely to have folks on board. I've had a lo- load of tweets from people that don't normally listen to the show because why would you if you're not a United fan? So that's been lovely. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, I'm at UTD Rantcast. Ed is at United Rant. Uh, you can get us both at facebook.com slash United Rant or post on the show page at unitedrant.co.uk. If you want to help uh, out with bandwidth costs and the like, um, it's unitedrant.co.uk slash donate because we're donation wear so we don't have adverts for Squarespace and such. Very good, and we'll see you shortly. We'll be back in a week's time, uh, hopefully, to talk to you about some cracking quarterfinals. 